So here we are, freedom. The door to freedom, part eight. Why don't you just take a moment with me and let's pray and let's get centered and go from here. Out of the silence and at the beginning of time, you spoke the words of life. Out of the world's primeval darkness, you flooded the universe with light. So God, in the quietness of the space, we wait and we watch. In the stillness of our souls and from its depths, the sense of our hearts, uh, may they awake to you. So God, we pray for a fresh word from you to open our ears to hear your voice and to reveal yourself to us this morning. Amen. It's said over and over and over again <clears throat> that if you're visiting, we are thrilled that you're here. And uh, we make no apologies to that. And we just really want you to take it all in, come back a few times, ask questions, why we do what we do. And uh, if somebody's brought you, uh, just feel free to do that. If you need to talk to any of our staff or uh, anything along that lines, uh, you can email us. We're totally accessible. And uh, we would just love to spend time to uh, just walk with you and to answer some of your questions if you do have. Otherwise, if you just want to sit and hide, you can do that. And that's why it's dark in here. <laughs> we respect that aspect. 2,000 years ago, Jesus went up on a hillside and then he sat down, sat down there and he began to preach the greatest sermon ever preached. It was called the Sermon on the Mount and he started his most famous sermon ever told by saying, I want to give you eight steps to happiness. Sort of eight principles that will bring happiness into your life. Well, he didn't really say it like that. That was my paraphrase. But today we call those eight principles the Beatitudes. And see, we've been going through a series for eight weeks uh, that I've called the door to freedom. And it's overcoming your hurts, your habits, your hang-ups that have messed up your life. And it's an the interesting to see the striking similarity between the steps of recovery and actually the Beatitudes. In fact, when you look at them, you find that the Beatitudes that Jesus gave some 2,000 years ago are simply a summary of the steps of recovery as we close this series. And, and so closing this, I want you to see what has been biblical, the biblical basis for all that I've been sharing in this past eight weeks. Blessed are those who know that they are spiritually poor. So if you have the Bible and you go to Matthew 5, in verses 3 to 10, you'll find the Beatitudes. And the, the first one just says that, and that was our first door. The first door to recovery is to realize that I'm not God, that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life is unmanageable. And happy are those who are spiritually poor that they... They know they don't have the power to make the changes that God wants to make in their lives. There's a realization that takes place. Hey, I'm not God. Second one was, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. See, you don't have the power to change, but don't worry about it. God is that comforter. He's the one who will come in and comfort you. He will give you that power. And so door two is earnestly believe that God exists and that I matter to him and that he has the the power to help me recover. And that's that sort of reach out and hit the help button. Blessed are the meek. And meekness under control, it doesn't mean weak. It means 
strength under control, kind of like a, a stallion that's been broken and tamed, still has that same amount of strength, but once it's broken and domesticated, it's, it, it's called a meek horse. It's strength under control. And door number three was consciously choose to commit all my life and my will to Christ's care and control. And that's what meekness is all about. If you take that step, if you take that step through door number three and turn your life over to Christ, that's that meekness under control. Happy are the pure in heart uh, is door number four. Openly examining and confessing my faults uh, to myself, to God, and to another person I trust. Confession. In order to have a clear conscience, in order to have a pure heart, I must clear out that garbage. And that's a hard time of, uh, for some people. Happy are those who desire to do what God requires. Door number five means voluntarily submit every change uh, God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. We saw two verses in the Beatitudes about relationships in door number six. Happy are the merciful to people who have hurt me. And happy are the peacemakers to people I've hurt. Evaluating all my relationships, offering forgiveness to those who have hurt me to make amends for the harm I've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or harm other people. Last week we looked at uh, door seven, which I called maintaining momentum. You know, what keeps you on these steps? How do you stay on the straight and narrow and I do that by reserving a daily time with God for self-examination, for Bible reading and, and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and to gain power to, to, to do his will for my life. And those are just brief synopsis, but you can go back to our website, you can go onto the iTunes, you can watch it on video, but you can go back and go back through all the eight doors. Or you can ask somebody to go back and watch it or ask them to listen for people who you know have hurts, hang-ups, or habits that they're just trying to get rid of. And so today we wind up this series. And we're going to look at this last door. And it's all about surrender. It's all about giving in to God. And in the church, you know, um, it, it was funny because we had, a, I had an interaction a little bit while, a while ago with somebody. And I said, you know, would you be willing to share what's going on in your heart to the community? And, uh, you know, there's numerous ways that we can give back, and, and not just in the church, but outside the church, but there are numerous ways we can give in to God and give back to the community, and I want you just to watch this video, will you? We've been going to Seoul for probably eight or nine years now, almost since the beginning, back to the old Trinity building, and uh, yeah, good. It, was a good, it was a good change for us, and we needed a, we needed a place to be that uh, was good for us, we were getting good, we were getting good food, and food as in from the spirits, I guess that probably doesn't sound good. We, my, it was interesting. It's a funny story. My old youth pastor, he was the best man in my wedding. Uh, he, uh, he started. He things didn't work out at our old church, and he told, he said, "Hey, you should come here." And he was only there for a short time. They ended up uh, moving to uh, Alberta, but that's that's what got us there. And it was that sort of, as you've been through in your lives, probably. Uh, um, uh, you know, somebody who you trust gives you some advice, and you're like, I will try that. And it's pretty much been that way. We've been there ever since. Valerie and I, again, had come to a point in our marriage where we were starting to talk about certain things that we needed to, you know, get set for, the, for our children and stuff like that. And that was an important part to us, was to get part of community. And obviously, we'd been hearing it for seven or eight years, so it was probably time. You know, it's now it's probably the time to do it. And uh, we never had to do anything. It was it was just one Sunday. Uh, we talked about it, and I had just interviewed one of 
are, are now people in our life group. I had been part of an interview at work, and I didn't even know they went to our church. Like, why well, I'm such a horrible person, you know? And then Char came up to us and invited us to um, to come to their life group. It was like, wow, this is super cool. And it was perfect timing. We were ready, and we wanted to do it, and we were super flattered. So, um, life group for about five or six months. And uh, then another uh, gentleman in our group, Mike, he uh, um, just asked me one week. He's like, hey, you want to help out? And I'm like, uh, yeah. He's like, well, let's do chairs. And I'd, I'd helped a few weeks when we moved into the new building take chairs down. He's like, well, we need to set chairs up every week. And I'm like, we're thinking of starting a team. And I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, I also, I'm looking at the time commitment. I'm going, I can do that. I can, that's, God, I can, that's a level. Of, and I, I honestly, throughout the whole process, I feel like, you know, God was, hey, okay, I feel, it seems like you're ready and receptive now. How about this task? How about I give you this? It seems like such a small task, and yet all the little tasks are so important in the grand scheme of things. And for people that don't, that haven't yet begun to help at church and all that, I think, at least being an outsider looking in, that every task looks like it's a lot of work. And, uh, you know, I, I look at this task, which is a, it's a big one, right? And so they're not all, they're not all that many hours, you know? And yet to God, all the same. They're all important. The interesting part is what, um, what came of it was that whole piece of, I started helping because a friend asked me and it ends up being this network of meeting people. And every, every time I'm there, I meet more people. And again, that was the soft sell for God, right? Because I, I honestly do believe in my heart, I was holding back. Like, I did not want to necessarily get that. Um, I didn't want to necessarily get that involved, you know? And I don't know why that was. I was just quite happy living in my little... It's comfortable. It, I was very comfortable. I was, yeah. The best part of it now for me has been how to sell it. And that's not even about setting up chairs. It's about meeting people. You know, and it's interesting. I have a, I have a Christian mentor at work. Like he's my prayer warrior and he's like, you know, he's all, he knows all the script. Like I said, I'm not so great with my Bible and all that, but he knows all the scripture and all that. And I told him about it and he just could not believe how excited I was that I was setting up chairs at church. And I said, you would not believe how many people I've met, you know, that over this last little while, I said, it's been so easy. And he's like, I never would have thought that <clears throat> what you would get out of that was meeting people. Like he says, it's just setting the chairs, right? I think I went into this with, I need to get involved. That was my, and again, what, seven years? Like, shame on me. I know I need the Thank you, Jerry. The past is the past. <laughs> we'll just let that go. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I just came into it thinking I need to get involved. And, uh, and again, it was God got me involved. I did not put nearly enough effort into this. And I think that whole thing about uh, give yourself to service, we all know it. We talked about exercise before, right? We all know we need to do this stuff, but we just don't, right? And um, that whole getting called in, and and it's interesting, you know, you know, uh, even the conversation that I had earlier tonight about now all of a sudden asking, hey, what is what goes into this? I, I might I might want to help out with that, and starting to think about where can I fit, you know, and and that and also now this sense of obligation and I don't mean that in a negative way but that it's almost like a tugging now that now I'm really feeling the tugging of you should ask somebody else to help you know someone someone threw an olive branch to you somebody threw an olive now you need to go and ask somebody if they'd like to help you know and don't assume I know in my case the people that asked me didn't assume I wasn't helping they just asked if I wanted to help with this I have people in my life group that give up like 
days of their week to help out at church and that's where they're at and 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 honestly i i honestly believe that if if that's what you need in your life um the more of that you fill your life in the less time there is for bad and things distractions and and i i I cannot i do realize that there can be um volunteer burnout but i don't know a lot of people that give a lot of their time that aren't rewarded like multiply in different ways and for me it's just been the networking piece because i'm a social person and i've just loved sharing these stories now and, and again now starting to feel that next tug to okay where can we fit in next all these little things um uh, you think to yourself about what did that mean back then what did it mean to be a little light and now i'm becoming that i'm, I'm an adult i'm a fully grown adult and i'm that little light now and it's interesting because i can think of in the last a couple months like and I've struggled at work with stress and 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 work and all that and I've had opportunities now where I've had to say sorry I can't do that Saturday and I have to go to church instead of chairs and it's like thanks God thanks for that opportunity to comfortably say to someone I go to church and I help at church and I've got people at work now that are like oh don't no don't ask Kevin he's he, he needs to do that it's actually just hit me now I have a friend and I've been trying to get him to come and it's almost like maybe you should come help me set up chairs one night and maybe getting him in the building will help with that segue to it's like all of the wreck stuff that goes on in our church and how hey they're in the building they're gonna be That's more they're already halfway there you know so I remember years and years ago Jerry talked about sin and how a lot of sin is done in the dark right and it's like once you come into the light um, you're, there's a sense of pride. Your, your lungs fill. Your posture changes. Your confidence, right? And I, I definitely feel I feel that a lot now. You know, I remember um, a couple of weeks ago we had a whole bunch of people that were supposed to come that didn't come, and there were only a few of us that set up. And I was at church for three hours. I only wanted to be there for one, and yet I leave there. I feel great, and I'm like, man, I'm like, this is three hours that I might have been upset to spend somewhere else, but I wasn't bothered at all that I was here. And it's interesting, and sometimes even after the band's done, like when we used to set up in the morning, we'd be like, hey, thanks for doing this. It's like, yeah, you're welcome, right? Little, another little important job, you know? I, I'd spoken about the need to become more of a spiritual leader in my home, and uh, and, and I think leading by example is so important. Um, a really, a really great uh, mentor, a woman mentor of mine, uh, had said to me one time that, uh, you know, we were talking about our children and she's got older children. And she says to me, uh, I said, well, what do I do? Like, what do I do when they start asking questions and when stuff starts happening? And she says, you know what? If you want your kids to end up with the right people in life and you're, and you're, and you're concerned about who they're going to marry and who they're going to have as friends, you need to model that in front of them. And that's all they'll ever know. And so I look at this as my kids will always know that myself and my wife, we helped out at church and we helped, right? Because we go to bed every night and we pray with them and we tell them, you know, we, we pray that they'll help others, but we need to actually show them it. And so now that's all my kids will ever know is that we helped out at church. So it's just going to be a natural extension for them that, hey, we need to help, right? And I'm going to use that as an opportunity to say to them, you don't need to go to church and set up chairs. You can go serve food in a soup kitchen you can go on a mission you can i don't care what you do i i just want you to help you know wherever you're at in your journey whether you're like me and you've been coming here for a really long time and you're like oh i forget about it the past is the past 
the best thing to do is to fill your life in with good things and the more good things that you put in your life it replaces all the bad things and i think it's and i also think that there is no job too small uh and and that there are so many moving pieces that go into putting church on every Sunday and not just church I, I don't want it to look as this is that you're just helping out at church there's jobs everywhere you know we've got another campus church whatever you want to call it on the other side of the city that needs bodies too right um, and like I said just um, pray about it because I didn't I didn't I didn't even I never even asked anybody someone came and asked me you know uh, pray for the courage and the peace that when somebody comes to ask you that you'll say yeah sure I'll try that and, and know that if it's not the right thing for you, that there's a ton of other jobs around the church that you can do. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that, that would be what I would say. Sorry, it's a bit of a soft sell. <laughs> it's not a you need to come here or else. You know, it, it really is. That's what God wants. He wants willing help. He doesn't, he doesn't want anybody to feel forced, you know. And really what you're hearing in one respect is what Doral number eight is all about. It's about the idea of surrender. It's about the idea of giving in to God. It's about the idea of God being able to use you to affect people in other areas. And uh, again, I wanted to highlight that because there are so many people behind the scenes in the video department, in the audio department, in the band, in, in the setting up of the chairs and getting the rooms ready and getting stuff ready. Baking cookies. Yum. Mm. Behind the scenes where people are just contributing because, and it's life-giving and it's life-flowing. And there's something about when we jump into something and start giving away ourselves to other people that becomes energetic and life-flowing. And so door number eight, really, when we look at it and we close this series, it's really about surrender. It's about giving to God. And some people actually use the word yielding to God and yielding myself to God to be used in numerous ways, to bring his good news to others, both by my example my, and my words. And so simply put, when it comes even down to this whole series we'll be doing about hurts, hang-ups, and, and habits, God wants to use your experiences, not just in one way, but in multiplicity of way, your experiences to help other people. So as you sit here and you listen to my voice, hear this one thing when you walk out of this room, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. And for some of you, he wants to recycle the pain in your life for the benefit of other people. Because sometimes, you know, we have it in our head that God only uses the real gifted, real talented people. That's not true. God uses ordinary people. God uses real people. People who have just been through a lot to share their stories so that maybe, just maybe, as I share my story, it's going to help other people. And usually we think, you know, well, God's going to use my strength. Well, God says, no, I don't want to use, use your strength per se. I want to use your weakness. Think about that. Because people are helped, you know, by your strength, but they're also helped when you're honest. I would even say more so with your weaknesses. You share your strength. Many times people will say, well, that's you know, big deal. I'll never be like that. But you begin to share your weaknesses. And they say, I can relate to that. And as you share from your hurts and your habits and, and your hang-ups of things that you're recovering from, God wants to use you. And that's what this door number eight is all about. Yielding myself to be used by God to bring the good news to other people. Remember, all these last few weeks I've been saying, you know, nine simple words. Would you like to come to church with me? Just inviting people. And maybe some of you here today are just, you've been invited because somebody took me up on that challenge. 
There's a message for you. And when you understand this, that God uses your weaknesses and God uses your pain, life takes on a whole new meaning. But when you begin to practice this step uh, uh, of serving, then, then you are on this process of actually having genuine recovery. And the proof of recovery is, is when you begin to focus uh, uh, on the outside of yourself. That means that you've recovered. You stop being so self-absorbed. You're not always worried about your own needs, my hurts, my problems. And you start saying and asking yourself the question, how can I help other people? And so the proof of recovery is that you want to begin to help others and not just keep focusing on what has happened to you. And as we wrap this up, I want to do two things. First, I want to talk about why, why God has allowed my pain or our pain and how I can use my pain to help others. I think one of the biggest questions I always hear is, well, you know, why has God allowed my pain? And, and uh, there may be many reasons, but I only want to talk on four because we have a time restraint. And I don't want to make this a 10-week class. But first and foremost, he's given us free will. He's given us a choice. Genesis says you were made in the image of God. And, you know, how are we like God? Well, one of that is, one of the images of God is that we're given a choice. You can choose good or bad. You can choose right or wrong. You can choose evil or life. And God says you can reject me. You can accept me. It's your choice. Well, why is that? Well, because God didn't want a bunch of puppets. He, he could have made you where you've had no free will at all. He could have made you uh, in such a way that, you know, every day you had to bow your head three times a day and pray or, you know, you always did what was right. You never did what was wrong. He could have made us that way. But God wanted people who would voluntarily love him. And you can't say you love somebody unless you have that opportunity not to love them. And you can't say you're good unless you have the option not to be good, to be bad. And so God has given you and I free will and free choice. And, and the free will is not only a blessing, but also, if you think about it, free will is actually a, can be a burden because sometimes we make dumb choices. And the dumb choices cause all kinds of painful consequences in our life. And so it's good that I'm free and I can choose, but it's bad because often I choose the wrong thing and that causes pain in my life. And I can choose to experiment with drugs and if I get addicted, you know, really, it's my fault. I can choose to be sexually promiscuous and if I get a disease, yeah, I can't really blame God on that one, you know. And God says, yeah, I would like not for you to have this pain, but it's part of the package that comes with free will. And not only does God give you a free will, he gives everybody else free will too, if you think about it. And sometimes they don't do, people around us don't do the right thing, and you and I get hurt as innocent victims. And those of you who have been hurt deeply by a parent or a former spouse or a teacher or a friend or relative, and the list goes on, God could have prevented that hurt you know, from happening to you. And all he would have to do would be to take away that person's free will to do wrong. But if he had done that, to be fair, he would have to take away your free will as well. And there's a dilemma. Do you see it? And the problem is that by having a free will, we get blessing, but we also get a burden. And God says, I'm not going to overrule your will. That's not how he operates. God doesn't send anybody to hell. We choose to go there by rejecting everything that he does. 
He says, I love you. I want you to be a part of my family. And if you say, well, forget it, God, and you thumb your nose and you walk out the door, you know, I, ultimately you can't blame anybody but yourself. There, there is a free will. And I'm trying to explain a very difficult concept in a matter of a few minutes. Another thing is that sometimes God uses pain to get our attention. And pain's a warning light. Like, it's a, it's a buzzer, it's an alarm, it's, it says it's time, it's something's wrong. And, you know, pain is not your problem. Your, your depression, your anxiety, your fear is really not your problem. It's a warning light saying there's something else that's your problem. It's just a symptom of your problem. So pain is just something is drastically wrong in my life. It's God's megaphone, and God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain, and he tries to say, get up, something's wrong, and God shouts to us. Proverbs 20, 30 says, sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. And we don't change when we see the light, but when we feel the heat, right? That's when we change. And sometimes it takes pain to get us going. 2 Corinthians 7, 9, Paul says, I'm glad, uh, I am glad not because it hurts you, but because the pain basically turns you to God. It got your attention and God uses problems and he uses pain to get our attention. I want to take you back to the story in the Old Testament of a guy by the name of Jonah. Not the VeggieTales version, the biblical version. You know, Jonah's going one way, and God said, I want you to go the other way. And so he provided the typical Mediterranean cruise for him. And at the bottom of the ocean, Jonah in chapter 2, verse 7 says, When I had lost all hope, I once again turned my thoughts to the Lord. Isn't that a great verse? God uses our pain to get our attention. When we are at the last bit, at the very bottom, the only way to look is up. And so God also uses that pain to teach me to depend on him. And Paul's example in Second Corinthians says, you know, we were crushed and overwhelmed and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was good for, for then when we put everything into the hands of God who could save us and he did help us. He helps us. You know, you, you don't know that God is all you need until God is all you got. That's a cliche that's out there, but it's true. And when you've lost it all and it's all falling apart, you don't know that God's all you need until you realize that he's all you got. And he is all we need. And if you never had a problem, if you ever, never know God to solve them, God allows pain to teach us to depend on him. Psalms 119 says, it was the best thing that could have happened for me because it taught me to pay attention to your laws. And the truth is, sometimes, you know, some things we only learn through pain. It's the only way we learn them. And sometimes the best life lessons we learn is through the pain. And that's life's greatest teacher. And God allows pain in my life to give me a ministry to other people. I think we forget about this. It makes me humble. It makes me sympathetic. It makes me sensitive to the needs of others. For me personally, it happened in two ways. One was, you know, just being at my dad's bedside when he passed away. The other one was when we lost our son, Josiah. You take your pain and it makes you able to minister to people in a different way. And this is what the door number eight is all about. It's yielding myself to God to help other people. And the truth is, pain prepares you to serve. 
2 Corinthians 1, 4 says, why does God do this? So that when others are troubled, needing our sympathy and encouragement, we can pass on to them the same help and the same comfort that God has given us. There's a payback here. Everybody needs recovery of some type in this room, whether it's mental recovery or physical recovery, spiritual recovery, social recovery, relational recovery. We all have hurts. We all have habits. We all have hangups. Nobody here is perfect. And who can better help an alcoholic than somebody who is struggling with alcoholism? Who can better help somebody dealing with the pain of abuse than somebody who was abused themselves? Who can better help somebody who lost their job and went bankrupt than than somebody who else has lost his or her job and went bankrupt? Who can better help a couple of parents who have a child or a teenager um, who went off the deep end? See, God wants to use and recycle the pain of our lives to help other people. That's what it's about. But we have to be open about it. We have to be honest about it. And many times, even in the church world, we come in here and we're ashamed of our stuff. And we put on the masks and everything is okay. And that's not right. And if you keep that hurt to yourself, you're wasting it. God wants to use your hurts. God wants to use your hangups. God wants to use your problems so that you can help other people. Isn't that wonderful? There's a beautiful story in the scriptures in Genesis about this guy named Joseph. He's so mistreated. He did incredible things. You know, his family, people in his family did incredible things to this guy. He was a good guy. He was a smart, alky kid, but a good guy. And he didn't deserve the pain that happened in his life. And one day, all 11 of his brothers decided to gang up against him. They beat him down, put him in a well, and they decided to sell him for slavery. And then we went back and they told their dad that he got eaten by a wild animal. Like a great family, dysfunctional family at the best. And, and there's a major problem here. He's sold into slavery. So he's taken from the land of Israel, going into Egypt. He's now in a whole foreign country. He's sold again. And he now finds himself doing a whole different job. And he's keeping his life pure. Uh, and he's doing what he's supposed to do. He's getting in trouble. People are riding him like, it's just not good. Then his master's wife tries to seduce him. And he says, no, that's not right. I'm not going to do that. So what she does is cries rape. He's falsely accused of rape. He's thrown into prison. The guy's whole life is going downhill. And he's always doing the right thing. But God knew exactly what he was doing and he put him in a position and he raised him up and eventually he was second in command uh, in Egypt and God used him not only to save one nation but two nations from destruction and famine. And I love this story because later his, his brothers come to him. They didn't know his, him, him at first. And they came to meet with him and they were asking for food. And when, he real, when they uh, realized it was him, I think they all expected to have their heads cut off, Literally. And he says in Genesis 5.20 that they intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good. God's bigger than those people who hurt you. And no matter what other people have done to you, God can turn it around and God can use it for good. God never wastes a hurt. But you can waste it if you don't learn from it and if you don't share it with other people. You know, how can other people be blessed if you don't share the problems you're going through with them to encourage them on how you made it through? Well, Jerry, how do I I use my pain? How do I use my addiction? How do I use all this stuff to help people? Again, this is what Dory 8's all about in The Road to Freedom. 
And 1 Peter 3.15 is the basis. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. In life, we need to be prepared to give an answer. Like, you know, somebody comes, how did you make it through? How did you recover? How are you recovering? Be prepared. And so I have a suggestion of what you can do. You need to make a list of all experiences. Again, I've been big on the list the last few weeks. Make a list of all your experiences that you've had in life to this day. All your positive, all your negative. You know, ones that, ones that you've caused and ones maybe that you didn't cause. And make a list of all those experiences and then ask, what did I learn from those experiences? You know, how did God help me make it through that tough time? And ask God, you know, God, how did you help me make it through this tough time? And then write your story out on paper. Well, why should I do that? Because thoughts disentangle themselves when they pass through the lips to the fingertips, right? Um, teachers, uh, yeah, we write it out. And then we ask ourselves, who, who could be best benefit from hearing my story? And the answer is the people who are going through it right now. You know, what you've already gone through Maybe they're just a little bit behind you in the process. And that's where you yield, and that's where you say to God, God, I'm available. And when you come to that point and you say to God, I'm available, then you better get ready, because if you get ready to share the good news about God, of how God has worked in your life, God will wear you out. There are people who need to hear your story all over this world, all in your city, at your place of work, in your family. There are people all over who are going through what you have gone through, and they need to hear your story. And sometimes God wants you to take the initiative, and this is called intervention, so to speak. If someone is overcome by sin, humbly help them back into the right path, remembering that next time it might be you who is in the wrong. So share each other's troubles and problems and so obey our Lord's commands. As believers, we're commanded to do this. It's a command. God doesn't say, you know, you know it's a good idea if you share. No, he, he says do it. So if we are believers, you are to share the problems, the troubles that you have with other people. That's the command. If you're not doing it, seriously, Seriously, you're not obeying God. Isn't that interesting? And so, yeah, I want to give you three simple suggestions in sharing your story because, listen, each and every one of you have a story to tell, and God doesn't want to waste your hurt. He doesn't want to waste those problems that you've already solved and gone through. Well, well, Jerry, how do I share? It's easy. First of all, be humble. We're all in the same boat. We're all fellow strugglers, and when you share your story, when you begin to witness, it's basically one beggar telling the other one where to find bread. You're not saying, I've got it all together, because you don't. You're getting it all together. You're on the road to recovery, and as you're getting it all together, you and I need to be humble and say, look, we're in this, we're in this together, but look, this is what has happened to me. Let me tell you my story. And in that process, the next thing you need to do is be real. Be honest about your hurts and your faults. And I've seen this modeled by those telling their stories in the last few weeks. And people just beginning to open themselves out and being transparent and vulnerable and real. And I'm grateful to be part of a church family where real people can share real problems and real solutions without feeling, you know, put down or guilty about it. We're committed to maintaining the atmosphere of acceptance here at Seoul. 
And you help other people by being honest about your hurts. It helps them open up. And the amazing thing is, is when you share your story, it not only gives hope uh, to them, but it gives healing to you. And every time you share your story with somebody, you get a little bit stronger. You get a little bit stronger and you're healed a little bit more and a little bit more. And you begin to grow and you begin to overcome. And so people join Celebrate Recovery because of their pain. And what we'll find out as time goes on, they will stay in Celebrate Recovery because of their growth. And it keeps them growing in their life. And thirdly, don't lecture. Just share your story. God wants you to be a witness, not a defense attorney. You don't argue anybody into heaven. You, you don't force anybody into heaven. You just share, look, this is, what, this is what happens to me. How is it working for you? And so I challenge you to take four steps this morning. I think the biggest challenge that I always come back to is door number three. And if you haven't committed your life to Jesus Christ yet, hear, hear me loud and clear. Do so today. If you've been walking through us or been listening to the podcast and you haven't committed to Christ yet, what are you waiting on? I think the greatest tragedy for a lot of people is that they would go through all, all, all the way through these series. They would hear all this, this truth and, and all the hope that it brings and do nothing about it spiritually. You know, it's like stepping across a line and, and giving your life to Christ. If you haven't done so, I really want to encourage you to do that today. Secondly, people, write your story out. Take some time, sit down, look at it. What has God done in my life? The good, the bad, the ugly. How can he use that to help other people? Maybe you don't know, then I want to invite you to write your story out, put it in a form of an email, send it to me. Because nine times out of ten, your story needs to be out on those screens so that people can hear that they're not alone. And if we have to fuzz you out like we did with one person we'll gladly fuzz you out just to get your story out there the hope the fact that God wants to recycle what you've been through for his good you know commit yourself to some church family for support you know uh, I talked about attendance last week uh, and the importance of coming together as community it's kind of funny because I raised some hackles And I make no apologies. As a matter of fact, I've got 50 pages of research sitting on my computer and I'm trying to figure out how to blog about it. About the importance of coming together as a community. No, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian, obviously, just like putting your car in the garage. You know, it makes no sense. But we come together for a reason. And when we commit ourselves in our life groups, in our men's groups, in our women's groups, and when we commit ourselves like this, in our children's ministry, and in a chair ministry, and stuff like that, things begin to happen. You know, attendance is not enough for recovery. It takes commitment. And the biggest thing it takes is relationships. And it was just like the relationships that Kevin was saying in the video at the beginning of the life lesson critical components that maybe we've never really thought of that really help us along in our faith. And finally, ask God to give you somebody you could share your story with. To share the good news of how God can make a difference in somebody's life. Hear me clearly, people. The world is full of people who need your story. And if you're not going to tell it, who are they going to hear it from? You're the only Bible that some people will ever read.
And they won't be caught a hundred yards from this place or any other church for that matter. They'll never hear me, but you have a story and you have a connection and you have a relationship that can reach people and they can identify that because they know who you are. And God, the beautiful thing of all this is that God wants to use you. We don't need any more TV evangelists. I think we have enough. What I want is you sharing your story with normal people. Because you can reach people I could never reach. Because your experience is so much different from mine. And once you step across the line, once you become that believer, and why, you know, why doesn't God just take you on that fast track to get you to heaven quickly, right? Why, why doesn't he do that? Be a believer, bang, you're dead. All right, we're in heaven. Well, there's a couple things you can't do in heaven, but you know, in heaven we can pray, we can sing, sleep, eat, relax, um, have fun, do dirt bike. I don't know. You know, we'll we'll talk about that. Fellowship, that's a great Christian word. You know, we can go with other Christians, continue to read our Bible in heaven. I don't know, wings, harp, Philadelphia, cream cheese, it all goes on from there. It's gonna be a crazy place. But there's two things you can't do. One of them is sin. Because it's a perfect place. And the other is, if we're in heaven, we can't tell the good news with people who have never heard. And which of those two reasons do you think that God leaves you on earth to do? It's obvious. The moment you step across that line, the moment that we become a carrier, the moment that we become a follower of Jesus Christ, you hear me very loud and clear, you become a missionary. And it's called the Great Commission. It's part of your job description as a believer. If you claim to be a believer, to share the good news with other people is our job description. And the world is far more ready to receive it than we've ever been ready to share it. And there are people out there who need to hear your story. And you don't have to be a biblical genius. Hear me out. You don't have to. You just say, this is what has happened to me. You know, I don't know where all the verses are. It doesn't really matter where all the verses are. This is what has happened to me. Nobody can refute that because it's your personal experience. You know, Acts 20, 24 says, life is, is, is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, what is that work? The work is telling others the good news of God's mighty love and kindness. And there's no greater accomplishment in life than helping somebody find that assurance in heaven. And because when you do that, you've made a friend for eternity. You know, when you get to heaven, God, God's going to say, you know, this is great. You're here. Did you bring anybody with you? Isn't that just a bizarre thought? You know, you make a friend for eternity when we share Christ with people. And there's no greater accomplishment than to have their eternity secured, so to speak. No greater joy, no greater satisfaction than helping somebody find the good news. And the fact of the matter is, when you think about it, God really wants to use you to share your story. He made you for a purpose. Can you imagine getting to heaven and, you know, 70 years from today? Go figure that out, time, heaven, I'm not quite sure how it works. But somebody walks up to you and says, I just want to thank you. And you're going to go, what? Thank me? What? Thank me for what? I don't even know you. No, but you're one of the pioneers at Soul Sanctuary. You were one of the 50 that started that thing way back in 2004 before they even had a building. And you were there and you were praying and you joined that and, and, and you supported the church with your, your gifts and your time and your offering. And you sat in those theaters when it was freezing in the winter and hot in the summer. And you work and you sacrifice to build a place for women 
Winnipeg that could share the good news. And 50 years after you died, that church reached me for Christ. Can you imagine? And I want to thank you because I'm in heaven because of you. Like, don't you think that that would be worth it? Because I make no apology whatsoever in saying that maybe the most significant thing that you do with your life is first you give your life to Christ and then become a part of Soul Sanctuary's family. Get involved in ministry. Start sharing your story. And it will far outlast anything you do in your career. It will far outlast anything you do with your hobbies. Because what we're talking about Every Sunday, every time we gather together, be it in a life group or in a youth group or here, has eternal implications, getting people from darkness into light, getting them from a hell into heaven and from an eternity without God to an eternity with God. And people will be thanking you for the rest of eternity. I think we get so caught up in our Christian lives, it's all about me in heaven, and we don't see the implications of what has gone on. There is no more significant cause in life. You know, I found an old business card of mine. I took a picture of it, threw it up on Facebook, and it was really interesting because it goes back to Victoria, and, you know, I had a pager and a fax number and a 1-800 number. Okay, I was old. But then people who were in my youth group at the time started commenting. And one person said, you know, if she did, I'll get through this. Hang on a sec. We basically started commenting about the Bible study that we started in our house for young adults. You know, one girl, oh, I... I would have never met my husband, you know, and sort of start, had some fun. And those were great times, and those were developing times. And then one person said that, knowing her story, basically said that that Bible study saved her life. We just opened their home. And to this day, people's lives have been changed. And I may never see the fruit, but when you do, it's moving. And you guys have a story to tell. And people to reach. I want to introduce you to one of our lead team members of Celebrate Recovery. And this is Dale Bergen. And uh, he has a story to tell. But that's not why he's here. He's here to talk about Thursday. Come on, baby. You can stand next to me. I trust you. Uh, you have a story to tell. And, uh, but again, you're here to talk about our launch of Celebrate Recovery this Thursday and who it's for and what it's going to look like. And I want people to ha at least see one familiar face when they walk in. Well, Celebrate Recovery is really for everybody. Um, the purpose of Celebrate Recovery is to gather together um, and we want to celebrate God's healing power in our lives through the eight recovery principles, which you've been talking about. Um, so this experience gathering together allows us to be changed. Um, we open the door by sharing our experiences, our victories, our hopes. And in addition, 
you know, that starts us to um, become willing to accept God's grace in our healing. So really, it's, it's for everybody, and it's starting this Thursday. And if people don't want to share, they can just come and sit? It's a safe place. You can come and sit. You can check it out. It's going to start 7 o'clock Thursday night. It'll be every Thursday. And if somebody has a, a friend or a family member that needs to be there, they can bring them along and sit with them, right? Yeah, we welcome you to do that. Um, definitely bring people. We want it to be a safe environment. We want it to be a place that everybody can feel uh, welcome. And so it is really for everybody, whether you're supporting somebody or whether you have need or whether just by listening to what you've been sharing the last number of weeks that... Uh, you know, it just made people start to think and wonder and they want change in their lives. So a person struggling with alcohol or drugs or sexual issues and they're not cleaned up or anything, they're welcome. We want everybody just exactly the way you are. Yeah. Um, God accepts each one of us the way we are. And I guess the whole point of we're not supposed to do this alone. Um, it's really about gathering together and sharing together. And that's where you have the strength and that's where the recovery starts. And it starts at what time? It starts at 7, and the doors open at 6.45, and it's going to be every Thursday. And they go upstairs, right? Upstairs, yeah. And is there, what does the program look like, per se, time-wise? Well, it starts at 7. Um, there's going to be worship time. It's going to be some teaching or testimony. Um, and then there's going to be, we're going to break into small groups. It's going to be gender-specific. And so from 7 to 8, it's the, the sharing, or like the teaching time, the fellowship time, and then it, eight to nine, we break into small groups that are gender specific, and so it's very safe. Um, and then after nine, it's, it's done at nine, but then we're gonna have coffee and whatever, and it's gonna have, a, we'll have a chance for people to build relationships and one-on-one. -on -one. Okay, so they're here till about 10 o'clock. So you're talking, it's the whole evening. It's the whole evening, right? Yeah. And so relationships will move down and people can be down in here. Exactly right. And we do have a policy, no pictures. No pictures. Um, it's very confidential. Yeah. Um, people can, you know, they don't have to share, like you said. Um, we get to know people on first name basis. So it's supposed to be a safe, confidential environment. Yeah. So at Soul, we're big on uh, Instagram and social media and stuff like that. And you should be following us if you're not. However, um, this is one area that we're not going there. Correct. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Thanks. Why don't you stand with me? Who's got a story to tell? We all do, people. We all do. Creator God, we cannot begin to imagine all that you are or all that you've done for us. And each day is a new chance, a chance to put behind all that we were and to look ahead to all that we can be. And Father, maybe it's time I stop to put everything into your hands and use the two that you've gave, given me. And I thank you for the blessings that you've added to my life. And God, forgive me for complaining and grumbling about the things I don't have and help me to focus my heart of what is good about my life. And I know all things come from you and that you take what is good and you take what is bad and you make them work together. And Father, just help me believe when it's hard to help me to trust when it's difficult and help me to see that you are guiding me every step of the way.